All right, Nick. So we're done with our boards and uh, Kriogs are over for this year. But, you know, what do we do if we want to keep making sure that we're up to date on the most current OBGYN practices? Yeah, as we get this podcast together every week, we have to always think about our friends over at the OBG Project who have these amazing summaries that are updated every day of the week, encompassing the latest research, encompassing newest practices, um, and also posting things like Grand Rounds where they get into the controversies of modern obstetric and gynecologic practice. And for all you residents out there, they also have a great core curriculum for you to study from. Um, we know that you probably want to break after Creongs, but definitely something to, worth checking out. And for all you chief residents out there, you can get one year subscription to OBG First absolutely free. Head over to our website, creogsovercoffee.com. Check out the sidebar. Chiefs, find out how you can get OBG First absolutely free. And residents, get signed up for the core curriculum. Hi guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Creogs over, over Coffee. So today we're going to try something a little bit different. We are actually going to talk a little bit about a landmark study uh, in OBGYN called the Magpie Trial. Um, so Nick, what are our learning objectives today? Yeah, so I'm looking forward to doing something a little different, Faye. Um, but learning objectives, getting back to that, first we'll review the MAGPIE trial. It's something that we think all residents should be familiar with, though maybe we're a little bit biased. We'll understand some of the reasons behind what we do. And in particular for the MAGPIE trial, we're talking about why do we use magnesium for patients with preeclampsia. Um, and then finally, we're going to review some follow-up about how we actually practice now in the aftermath of the MAGPIE trial. So Faye, even though MAGPIE is a really cute name, um, that's not actually the title of the trial in the formal sense. Yeah, so the actual title is, Do Women with Preeclampsia and Their Babies Benefit from Magnesium Sulfate? The MAGPIE Trial, a Randomized Placebo-Controlled Trial. And MAGPIE here stands for Magnesium Sulfate for P prevention of eclampsia. I don't know where the I came from, hmm. but <laughs> I feel like magpie sounds better than magpie. So Fair. maybe that's what they did. <laughs> so the way that I kind of like to do almost like journal club style things, Nick, is I like to start off with the basics, which is, you know, who did the study and who published it? Yeah. So this was a conduction of a study by the you know, creatively named Magpie Trial Collaborative Group. It's a huge group that spanned a bunch of continents and countries. Um, and if you look at the end of the paper, the name of people spans like three columns. It's crazy. Um, it was funded by lots of people, um, but ultimately was coordinated by an organization called the Resource Center for Randomized Trial at the Institute of Health Sciences in Oxford, United Kingdom. And then this study was published in The Lancet in 2002. For some background on why the study was done is really that kind of for a long time, in order to prevent eclamptic seizures, we actually used anticonvulsant drugs. So things that you know you more commonly think about as seizure medications, thinking that again, this could prevent eclampsia. Um, of these, magnesium sulfate was actually one of the medications 
There was a systematic review that came out in 1998 that looked at four trials comparing anticonvulsants versus no anticonvulsants. And in that systematic review, magnesium sulfate was thought to be the most promising choice for eclampsia prevention. And at the time of that study, while mag was starting to be used more and more to prevent seizures in those that had preeclampsia, there were still a lot of folks that were using other medications, things like diazepam or other benzodiazepines, phenytoin, barbiturates, etc. all of those anti-epileptic drugs that we don't think about as much anymore because we use magnesium. So in essence, the research question ultimately was, do women with preeclampsia or their babies or both, quote, do better if they're given magnesium sulfate compared to placebo, regardless of whether treatment is started before or after delivery and then irrespective of any previous anticonvulsant therapy? So Interesting question, interesting history, Faye. Um, but let's talk now about methods. Yeah. First of all, who were the people that the study uh, looked at? And then how was the study done? So who participated in the study? The study ran between July 15th, 1998 to November 29th, 2001. And there was actually an initial pilot trial that was uh, right before this to kind of make sure that everything worked the, the way that it was supposed to from February to July of the same year. So the study was huge. It was conducted in 33 countries and it spanned six continents, which is insane because I can't even imagine coordinating this type of study. So the women who were enrolled were eligible if they had preeclampsia and uncertainty about whether or not to use magnesium. Either they had not yet given birth or they were less than 24 hours postpartum, and their blood pressures had to be uh, greater than 140 systolic over 90 diastolic um, at least twice with proteinuria of one plus or more. And it's worth noting here that, um, you know, this is their kind of definition of preeclampsia without severe features, at which time, you know, they called this mild preeclampsia. But their definition of severe preeclampsia was actually a little bit different. And it's important for us to talk about here because they do tease out severe preeclampsia. So their definition of severity was when a systolic blood pressure was greater than 170 or a diastolic blood pressure of greater than 110, both um, twice or more, or they had proteinuria of greater than three plus. Or they also said it was severe preeclampsia if the, if the systolic blood pressure was greater than 150 or the diastolic was greater than 100, proteinuria was greater than 2 plus, and at least two what they called signs or symptoms of imminent eclampsia. And by that, I assume that they meant some type of like neurological symptoms. The exclusion criteria were things like hypersensitivity to magnesium, hepatic coma due to renal failure, or myasthenia gravis, which makes sense because, you know, these are people who could not get magnesium. And also, um, if the urine output was less than 25 milliliters per hour, then the dose was half. So these were the people that were involved in the study, Nick. Now let's talk about how was the study done. Yeah, so patients were randomized, as you might expect for a randomized controlled trial. And in the randomization, they balanced for the severity of preeclampsia, the gestation at randomization, if the patients had been delivered or not, if they'd been given any anticonvulsant drugs before the trial entry, if they had a multiple pregnancy like twin or triplet gestation, and then the country um, that it was taking place in. Now, Faye, you mentioned earlier how challenging it can be to try and coordinate this in multiple countries, multiple continents. Um, and the randomization schema actually is really interesting to illustrate that. So they actually did kind of in countries where there was high resource and reliable phones available, 
you'd pick up a phone and call a research coordinator and then they would tell you which block the patient got randomized to, the magnesium or not magnesium. But if you were in a low resource country, you actually got these blocks of kind of eight pack randomization is what it's called. If you didn't have access to a phone where you'd just like open something up and say, oh, okay, the next eight patients are this. Um, and so it's a little bit different in terms of where the randomization was. And it's kind of an interesting thing to note um, just from yeah. a trial design piece. Um, but as I mentioned briefly there, the randomization was either to magnesium or to placebo. Magnesium in the MAGPIE trial was administered as a four gram magnesium loading dose over 10 to 15 minutes. And then this was followed by an infusion over 24 hours of one gram per hour of magnesium. Again, interesting to note in low resource settings where IV access may not be available um, or needed to do IM because of maintenance of IV access, you'd try to give an initial four gram IV combined with a maintenance of five grams of magnesium IM injected into each buttock, so 10 grams total at that point, every four hours for 24 hours, which that sounds horrific. Ouch. Um, to get five and five of mag injected every four hours if you don't have the ability to run a drip. Um, I'm not jealous. No, um, not at all. And then even worse, if you were in the placebo arm, because it was a similar looking pack and setup, but then this, it was just saline in the same milliliter amounts. Um, <laughs> so to get five and five of saline injected, um, ouch, for sure. But again, okay. We'll get back to the actual study instead of just marveling about some of this. So magnesium or placebo were the randomization blocks. You then were monitoring the patients over time. And basically, it's the same things that we do now. So we're monitoring reflexes. If you get depressed reflexes, mag doses adjusted to help prevent the toxicity. During this, they were checking reflexes and respirations every 30 minutes, actually. So very, very frequently. And if a patient had an eclamptic seizure during this time period, then the trial of whatever was going on, whether it was magnesium or placebo, needed to be stopped, and an eclamptic rescue pack was given with two packs. So those that had no mag ended up getting four grams of mag total at that point, and those with mag previously were given another two grams of magnesium. Last in the trial design type of thing, We'll talk about primary outcomes and secondary outcomes. The primary outcomes, of course, were eclampsia um, from a maternal perspective, and from a fetal perspective, death of the baby before discharge from the hospital for women who were, again, randomized prior to their delivery. And then secondary outcomes included things like serious maternal morbidity, and there was a number of things that qualified for that, including you no know, side effects of mag sulfate too. And then they also looked at complications of labor and delivery and other neonatal morbidity things. And then also finally looked at things like length of stay, ICU admission, NICU length of stay, stuff like that. But again, the primary outcome maternally was eclampsia and fetally was death of the baby before discharge from the hospital. So Faye, this was a huge trial. Um, so let's talk through results now because it's really interesting. In terms of recruitment, they recruited 10,141 women and randomized them, which is, I can't even imagine yeah. that number of recruitment right now. I'm marveling at this. So 
the, that was the number of women. They were randomized at 175 hospitals, like I said, in 33 countries. So 47% of the women were from Africa, 27% were in the Americas, both North and South, 15% in Asia, and 10% in Europe. And uh, overall, data was available for 10,136 women, and follow-up was available for 10,110 as we can expect, there are some women where you just don't have full data or they get lost to follow up. But I'm still marveling at the fact that they only lost, if I'm looking at this correctly, 31 women yeah, from every single insane. person that they randomized. When they looked at all of this, you know, baseline characteristics like age, primaparity, systolic blood pressure at entry, severe preeclampsia numbers, other problems of preeclampsia, just uh, things like that, they were not different at entry in both arms. In terms of their primary outcome, they did find that significantly fewer eclamptic convulsions happened among women who got magnesium sulfate than those who got the placebo, um, with a reduction of about 58%, so more than half. Um, and again, you know, we do have to say that it, they were very small numbers overall. Out of the 10,000 women, there was a 0.8% of seizures in those who got magnesium versus 1.9%, so 40 versus 96. And the effect was seen in patients who had severe preeclampsia and those who they deemed without severe preeclampsia. There was no difference in death of babies for those randomized before birth. And in terms of maternal mortality, um, it was also lower among women allocated to magnesium sulfate. So again, very small numbers, 0.2% versus 0.4% with a relative risk reduction of 45%. In terms of secondary outcomes, there were no clear difference in any measures of maternal morbidity or in composite measures of serious morbidity, but there was significant increases in side effects of mag sulfate in the magnesium group, as you may expect for those of you who've given magnesium before. Um, in this group, there were higher levels of things like flushing, nausea, vomiting, muscle weakness, headache, hypotension, dizziness, all those things that we kind of associate with people being on magnesium. And again, no difference in neonatal morbidity. Knowing that these were their results, Nick, you know, what was the impact of this study? As we sort of started off the podcast, Faye, no, this is a landmark study in OBGYN because it's just it included so many people across so many countries in resource rich and resource poor settings. So when you look at things and try to like gauge generalizability, this is a study that like is generalizable because it just captured the entirety of the population, right? Mm-hmm. Um, their data was really good. So they had high compliance, high completion of the study, really good follow-up rates. And it also clearly demonstrated that magnesium sulfate decreased the risk of eclampsia. 11 per 1,000 fewer women allocated to MAG had seizures, um, which again is a really phenomenal testament to how well this works. They also demonstrated no increased ill effects on babies, um, which is also a really important outcome. And then they also managed to provide a regimen, four grams, then a one gram per hour rate, as well as a timing, 24 hours in total, um, that then is immediately applicable clinically. Um, So that's really, really, again, phenomenal in terms of just being able to take a study and then immediately apply it to the clinical context. But sort of, you know, at some institutions, you may see some differences in what we do and what exactly went on in the MAGPIE trial. So why don't we talk about sort of what about now? I know, you know, where we trained, Nick, we only treated patients who had preeclampsia with severe features with magnesium. 
And similarly, now at my institution, that's what we do. And I'm wondering if that's what you do too at the University of Washington. So, you know, in the Magpie trial, they didn't differentiate. I mean, ultimately, they looked at the effects and they said it wasn't different. They they included all patients with preeclampsia. So why the change? Um, And I think there are some interesting things to consider, right? Because when we look at the Magpie trial, specifically at the women enrolled from high-resource settings in the Western world, the reduction rate of eclamptic seizures was not actually statistically significant. Hmm. The relative risk was 0.67. So it is lower, but the 95% confidence interval crosses one. The other thing to consider is that a quarter of women reported adverse effects with magnesium sulfate, primarily things like hot flushes, and the rate of cesarean section was interestingly increased by 5% when mag was used. Um, And I think one thing that's, you know, interesting to consider is that sometimes mag is used as a tocolytic. And so the question is, if you're putting all these women who you want to induce on a tocolytic, are you then causing some form of labor dystocia, which will then lead to C-section? And then following the MAGPIE trial, there were two smaller randomized trials that allocated women with preeclampsia without severe features to either placebo or MAG. And there were actually no cases of eclampsia among women allocated to placebo and no significant difference in the proportion of women that progressed to severe preeclampsia. But of course, you know, the smaller size was the limit to these studies, knowing that the MAGPIE trial was like 10,000 women. Finally, the rate of seizures in preeclampsia with severe features with MAG is four times higher than patients who don't have severe features. So with the calculation of previous data, it appears that 129 women need to be treated to prevent one case of eclampsia. But in those with symptoms like headache, blurred vision, things like that, the number needed to treat is much lower, about 36. Because of kind of all of these things to consider, the ACOG Practice Bulletin says that the evidence is less clear about treating preeclampsia without severe features with magnesium, and it can be individualized by institution or by physician. And a lot of times, um, you know, certain institutions will say, you know what, the risk of having magnesium toxicity and all these side effects of magnesium, potentially it may not be worth giving magnesium to people who have preeclampsia without severe features. So that's a little bit about do we give preeclampsia, do we give magnesium to people with preeclampsia without severe features? What about dosing? Yeah. So we mentioned in Magpie, um, if you weren't getting stabbed in the butt every four hours, um, (laughs) the dosing was four grams loading followed by one gram an hour IV. But, you know, at different institutions, you've probably have seen things that if you're listening to the podcast, you're like, wait, we actually do a six gram loading dose or we do two grams an hour on the drip or some combination of those things. And actually at the UW, we do four gram loading followed by a two gram an hour drip. I don't know what you guys do at Penn, Faye. Um, Yeah, we do six and two. (laughs) Yeah. So again, there's differences in this. So is there a right answer? And there is a little bit of data, but it's sparse about kind of what's right, more or less magnesium. Basically, there's not a lot of good data about the therapeutic range, but depending on what you read, usually falls between 4.8 to 9.6 milligrams per deciliter or four to eight milli equivalents per liter. But accurate milligram concentration that is proven to be clinically effective in the prevention of eclampsia is not actually established in data. Higher infusion rates, of course, have increased potential for toxicity, and infusion rates over 2 grams an hour have already been associated with increased perinatal mortality in systematic reviews of randomized trials, so we definitely don't exceed the 2 gram an hour infusion. A lower starting bolus offers the disadvantage, basically, of increased time to get to your therapeutic dosing, so you're not getting that initial push of all of the magnesium, and so you're 
therapeutic range is going to end up sort of on the lower end of that or getting to an adequate therapeutic range may ultimately take longer. So some folks may argue for six instead of four because of that. But then there's this other trial out there that's the BEAM trial. Um, and that's another one that we hope to cover more in depth later, but actually looked at magnesium for the prevention of cerebral palsy in babies at 24 to 31 weeks of gestation. And in the BEAM trial, they used a regimen of a six gram bolus followed by a two gram an hour drip. So a lot of institutions actually try to get two birds with one stone in patients under 32 weeks by doing the six and two regimen because that was what was used in the BEAM trial from a prematurity standpoint. There also was a really long named study in Australia and New Zealand for MAG for neuroprotection of babies, the ACTO-MAG sulfate trial. Um, and again, this in this study, they actually used the four and two regimen. So there's been lots of trials looking at lots of ways to do it. And there's not a lot of data about what exactly is the right therapeutic range for magnesium. But if you're using either a four or six gram bolus followed by a one to two gram an hour drip, you're probably gonna get into the right spot. Go with what your institution says um, and then think about sort of in your own mind in the clinical scenario of what might provide the advantage for you is what we have to take away, I think. All right, Faye, I know we've gone through a lot of the minutiae of this clinical trial, um, but I think in terms of what our usual end of episode summary, maybe we just offer some takeaway points. Yeah, sure. So I think the biggest thing to take away from this trial is that magnesium sulfate can help decrease the rate of eclamptic seizures in patients with preeclampsia. And we have very good data to suggest that it can decrease this rate by a little bit more than half. But magnesium is not a benign drug. Remember, you should dose magnesium somewhere between a four and six gram loading dose and one to two gram an hour maintenance drip. But this is often going to be institution dependent, and there's not a lot of great data about what exactly is the right way to do it. But there's a lot of data using a lot of different methods. It's also going to be institution dependent if you treat preeclampsia without severe features with magnesium. Remember, in MAGPI, there actually was the same decrease in eclamptic seizures when you treated without and with severe features of magnesium, the risk reduction was the same. Um, so you may at your institution mag those who have preeclampsia without severe features. However, the number of patients that overall get eclamptic seizures is really low and even lower in those in those with non-severe preeclampsia. So other institutions will argue for because of those increased toxicity or side effects for preeclampsia without severe features, we won't mag them and wait for severe features to develop before offering it. All right, Faye. Well, I think that does it for this episode. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creag's Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, go ahead and go onto your favorite podcatcher on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at Creags Over Coffee One, on Instagram and Facebook at Creags Over Coffee. Or if you love the show, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Creags Over Coffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. 
You can find show notes for this show and every other show, as well as the Rosh of You question of the week, which if you participate in, you may get chosen to win their uh, yearly subscription for the uh, Kriog study bundle. That's at www.kriogsovercoffee.com. Finally, if you have a question for us, a suggestion for a future episode or a correction to this or any of our other episodes, or maybe you're one of the authors of the Magpie Trial and you want to come talk to us, email us, kriogsovercoffee at gmail.com.